Well, we're going through Luke, starting in, in chapter 3, and we're looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. He's the herald, the forerunner uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has uh, a headline message, remember? A summary of his preaching uh, is that uh, people need to be baptized and repent for the forgiveness of their sins. Repentance towards God, baptism for, and here's the great glory of the Christian message, that our sins might be forgiven. And we're all prepared to admit, well, I'm not perfect. That's the issue. That's the problem. Because when Jesus Christ returns, it's the final judgment, heaven and hell. Uh, how can I enter heaven? I need a perfection that's equal to God's. Where do I get it? Not through what I have done, not through church-going prayers, not through religion of any type, shape, or flavor. It's only Jesus Christ that can do helpless sinners good. He, the Son of God, lived a perfect life on our behalf. This is how much God loves us. We deserve His wrath. There is a wrath to come. We need to flee from it to Jesus. It's what we deserve. If we want our wages, our payment, it's wrath. But with God, we, we don't get what we deserve. We can receive grace and mercy. Sins forgiven through Jesus, who lived the life we couldn't live and dies the death that we deserve. Calvary really was hell on earth 2,000 years ago, where he suffered in our place, that we might go free. He rose again from the dead. And here's John the Baptist, he wants to herald that and declare that and proclaim that particular message. And people are responding, they're coming to him to be baptized in the River Jordan. And his response to the crowd is quite a shocking one. He calls the crowds coming to him a brood of snakes, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What we've been thinking about repentance over these last few times and I've been preaching. Uh, first of all, what it is, we thought carefully about that. It's a change of thinking. I, I used to think that there wasn't a God. I used to think that there might be a God, but he's not interested, he, he's remote. I used to think that when you were dead, you were dead. I used to think, therefore, that, well, I might as well eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow I die. But then the work of the Spirit comes on me. I'm given new life and I understand I'm a sinner before a holy God. And what do I do about my sin? I might try religion for a while. It doesn't work. I try to reform myself. It doesn't work. Uh, repentance is a change of thinking. I turn from self and I turn to God. I turn from me and I turn to Him. I turn from death to life, from hell to heaven. It's a total revolution in my thinking. And John the Baptist says to those coming, saying, well, I, we have repented. You need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not good just saying, well, I'm a Christian. What's the evidence? When, when uh, the apostles went to Antioch, they were delighted to find in the new professing believers there what they called evidence of the grace of God. And what is that evidence? Well, it's fruit. And that fruit includes repentance and faith. And we thought last time about the fruit and its nature. Certainly humility 
If anybody's understood they're a hell-deserving sinner, and only Jesus Christ has been able to forgive them and wipe away that sin, all arrogance and pride has gone. And I become by default a humble man and a contrite man, contrite woman, contrite young person, contrite child. But we still battle with sin as we're going to see. But there's a change in my default setting. And also the fruit that's produced, we thought of one last time in particular. Love, having been loved so signally, so wonderfully, from eternity past that love like a tidal wave has broken over my soul in time and I'm riding, as it were, on a, a surfboard of grace, a wave of grace towards the shore of glory in the future. Having been so loved, all the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast and measure, boundless, free. And if that love has been poured into me and expressed to me and shown to me, how I ought to love God and to love my fellow believer and to love all who I encounter. So, oh, don't uh, think you can say, well, I was a church goer, I've been baptized. You need to produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Well, that's, we've covered all that so far. I did want to just emphasize this point before moving on to the question as to why is repentance absolutely vital and essential. I just want to touch on this particular area, that repentance is not a once-and-for-all event, but it is an ongoing reality in the life of any true believer. It is an ongoing reality. Day by day, we pray, forgive us our trespasses. Why do we pray that as Christians? I thought you said my sin had all been forgiven. Indeed, wonderfully it has. All my past sin, all my present sin, all my future sin was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary, and I can truly say, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free. In my heart's a song buried in the deepest sea. That is a reality. When I came to trust Jesus Christ 46 years ago, gone. And I became a child of God. Then why do I still need to repent? Because although my sin has been forgiven and I'm covered now as a child of God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I'm still battling with sin. And what I am is a forgiven sinner. I no longer want to sin, but I do sin. And this side of heaven, that will always be my story, I battle against the world, the flesh and the devil. As Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, uh, oh, those who have received uh, a complete bath, uh, no longer to go through that need to go through that thorough washing again, but they do need to wash their feet. Now, as I sin day by day, and I become aware of it, repentance is a constant reality. Let's understand that. Not, not, not for salvation, but yes, 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 for the relationship with God which will never, ever, ever be severed. Understand that. Once you're saved, you're always saved. If you're a child of God, you can never, ever, ever 
possibly lose that? How could God let one of his children go, having been so signally loved and gripped in his hand? I'm always his child, and he will always love me. But I will tell you this, he doesn't always like me. And I make that distinction. He'll always love me. But he doesn't always like the way I conduct myself. And it's when I go astray and disappoint him and go away from his word and loving Jesus Christ, I need to come back and have my feet washed and repent. Not for salvation, but to keep that relationship real. So, for example... We've raised six children. We have uh, numbers 12 and 13 grandchildren, it seems, uh, on the way. But raising six children. Do you know, my six children weren't always perfect. <laughs> you know, at times, they would uh, do things that would really disappoint me and Jill. Uh, and as good parents, we brought about a measure of discipline. Do you think for a moment that Jill and I ceased to love them? At times they think, they thought, maybe we didn't. Oh, you, you don't love me anymore. Yes, we do. That's why we're doing this. Now you need to think about what you've been doing. Now, you used to be able to do certain things with children, and now, well, you, you can have, uh, there's a naughty step you can have. But, but I'm told it's no longer allowed to be the naughty step, because uh, apparently we're told in education children aren't naughty, so it's called at school and in homes, it's called the thinking step. But even on the thinking step, still loved. Not well appreciated at that moment. And fellowship needs to be restored. And so it is with you and I and the living God. So repentance, giving it a rounded thing, an initial repentance of salvation. But understand it never stops. And part of the fruit in my Christian life is there's a daily coming back uh, to him. And if I can't think of things to repent of, then I'm not really praying, and I'm not really asking the Lord to search me. I ought to have that desire to be more and more like my elder brother, Jesus Christ. That's the aim. Let's aim high, and the pathway is repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, there's much more I could have said in that section, but let's move on. I want to come to this particular question as to why it is that repentance is indispensable for every single human being. It's because of this phrase I want to bring us to now in Luke chapter 3 and verse 7 where John the Baptist says to these people coming towards him, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then in verse 9, uh, he says this, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, that's very interesting. John the Baptist, here he is by the River Jordan, and he's the herald of Jesus Christ. And uh, very much he's concerned about the first incarnation, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation uh, itself. And he's going to herald him. And at some point soon he's going to say, oh, have a good look. Behold, here he is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin 
of the world. And it's all pointing, he's heralding the first coming of Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist, remarkably, is doing something else at the same time. He's also pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's heralding the first, but he's pointing to that momentous event that's still to come. 2,000 years have passed by, but that day is absolutely certain. It is the day of judgment. It is known as the great day. It is the event the whole world is moving inevitably, steadily, certainly towards. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. Some of you have gone through quite a life. Maybe there's some maybe in their uh, 80s. There's some who might be touching nearly their 90s. Certainly that day is drawing nearer. Are we ready for that great day? There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus Christ. But do you know, the Old Testament is also packed with prophecies about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the great day to come. It's said in the Bible, I'm not sure who counted, and maybe it's an exercise on a wet, windy afternoon sometime, there are over 2,000 references in the Bible to this great event, the return of Jesus Christ. There are about 66,000 verses, so one in every 30 verses on average is about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this great event. In the first coming of Jesus Christ, he accomplished this great, great reality. He came to take away sin, and he did it. He's given the name Jesus by the angel. You will call his name Jesus. Because, now notice the certainty of this. This is wonderful. If you're not yet saved, listen to this. You'll call his name Jesus, he says to Joseph in the dream, because he, now he's not going to have a go. He's not going to try. He will save his people from their sin. He will. He will do this. And Jesus has done that. Again, the gospel is really, really, really very simple. It's not what we do, it's what he's done. It's all about Jesus, the eternal Son of God who became one of us. Who needs to live a perfect life to get to heaven? You and me. Could an angel come and live a perfect life for us? No, that's, that's an angel. I need to live a perfect life. Man needs to live a perfect life. So what is God going to do? He can't just forgive sin. He could calm a storm from heaven, raise the dead, heal a leper, but he can't just forgive sin. So God, in the depths of eternity past, this counsel, this, this agreement, the Father is going to send the Son. Son, would you go? Father, I'd be very willing to go. And the Holy Spirit said, well, I'm happy Delighted to, to apply this wonderful work, to oversee the work and to apply it to the hearts of many. So Jesus becomes a man. But he hasn't stopped being God. So in all that he does, there's infinite worth in his work. He lives the perfect life. And then he dies my death on Calvary. 
Calvary really was hell on earth. You see, I, I, I meet folks who say, oh, I, I, I can't believe in a God who'd send people to hell. My friend, to stop you going there, he went there himself. He went there himself. Whatever hell might be, and we only have little glimpses of what will happen if you're not ready on the day of judgment, little glimpses. It's enough to make you surely desire to flee from that wrath. But whatever it is, the depths of it, like, uh, Nathan was preaching last Sunday night on uh, the Queen of Sheba, and oh, she's able to say, oh, the half hasn't been told me about the glory of heaven. I only got a little inkling. Well, conversely, hell. A fraction hasn't been told me. Some say, oh, hell is what you mean. Hell's here on earth. No, it's not. It really isn't. There are little pictures, but all oh, the wrath to come. How much does God love me enough to take the hell that I deserve? But death couldn't hold him. He'd done nothing wrong. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over sin, death, and the devil, and hell itself. The first coming of Jesus Christ, he takes away the sins of all who will trust him. Of all who will simply. Now, again, let me emphasize, it's not going to church, singing hymns, saying prayers, becoming a church member, being a deacon, an elder, a pastor, a preacher. It's not being a Sunday school teacher, a door-to-door -door worker. Uh, it's none of these things that get me to heaven. It's Jesus Christ who gets me to heaven. And there must be an event where I recognize I'm a sinner and I turn from my sin to Jesus Christ and at that point, my sin has been dealt with, past, present and future. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. He will come the second time. And one of the great things he will do is he will judge and deal with remaining sin remaining sin. Those who have refused to obey the simple instruction of the gospel, repent and believe, their sin remains. When Christ returns, that sin is dealt with. Who has sinned? Romans 3 and 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has got a standard. It's utter perfection. Who am I? I'm a sinner. Understand what that is? You know, we, we tend to think, well, you know, I, I'm not so bad. I'm as good as anybody else. And we, we compare ourselves to each other. And compared to you, maybe I'm not so bad. And compared to me, maybe you're not so bad. But that's not the issue. How glorious, how wonderful, how ineffable he is, who dwells in depths of burning light. The half hasn't been told me until that flash of realization dawns on my soul when the Holy Spirit gives me new life and I begin to see who I am under the eye of a holy God. I, if the pass mark for, 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 for heaven is 100% perfection, I mean, how, how far do I reach what, what do you think you're attaining at the moment outside of Jesus Christ 
Even my best thoughts and my best works, as Isaiah tells us in chapter 64, are like filthy rags. The best thing I've ever done, if offered before God to justify me, is like a, a filthy, stinking rag. So I, I don't even reach a percentage point. I, I can't even spell my name right on the exam paper for heaven. That's why Jesus is absolutely vital to me. Who has sinned? All have sinned. All 7.65 billion on planet earth right now. And Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us this, the wages of sin. Why is repentance vital? Because there's a recompense. The wages of sin is death. Now, I used to say, oh, let's make that more comprehensible to people. Let's say the penalty for sin is death. That's not what the Bible says. It is actually wages. That is the right term. Because wages, which are very much in the news at the moment, are things that you, you earn. So you work for the week or for the month, and at the end of the week or the month, there is given to you or directly credited to your bank account a wage. It's what you earn. And for you and I before a holy God, we are earning a wage. And the wages of sin is death. And the Bible speaks about three deaths that we experience because of sin. Number one, it's something which we all understand and experience. It's a spiritual death. It's the sort of death you were in before you were, by the grace of God, converted. It's the shadowy land you can return to if you don't stay close to Jesus Christ. Keep him real, my friends. Keep him real. It's wild out there. But people say, I don't know if there is a God, I don't know if he exists or, or not, I'm not so sure. And yet deep in their hearts, there's this ache for him. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre said, uh, God does not exist. He was a, a classical atheist. But that my very being cries out for God, I, I cannot deny. There's this hunger, this, this searching. Why don't people know God? Sin. Your sin has separated you from your God. There's a spiritual death that's on us all by birth. And then there's physical death. That great reality in front of every one of us here. Now, nobody here has died yet. What's it like to die? I've witnessed... Many as a pastor. I've attended at many funerals. What's it like to die? It's part of the wages. It's part of the wages. And we're all on a conveyor belt. And it's only going in one direction. It's going at the same pace for every one of us. And uh, for the great... Well, I don't know. For some of us, we don't know how long that conveyor belt is. For all of us, we're not sure, but for some of us, we get a warning. Maybe a visit to a doctor or a consultant, and uh, scans are sent for and x-rays, and uh, then the day is booked, you go to see the consultant. And it's not good news. But even then, he says, but there are things that we can do. On occasion, you'll say, well, there's actually nothing we can do. How long have I got, doctor? And we're told a, a rough band as to how long the conveyor belt might be. For others, 
very sudden. No warning. Could be an accident. A few nights up most recently, young man, 24, had a tattoo put on his back, a large one, on the Thursday. He died on the Friday. Peak of health. Strong, vibrant, vigorous. No warning. No warning. Youngest person I buried, six months old. The oldest, 103. It's a certainty ahead of us. The wages of sin is death. But if, if, if physical death were the end, we could maybe put up with it and, and cope, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But there is this final death. It's what John the Baptist is pointing towards here. It's why we need to repent, why it's absolutely vital. There is the wrath to come. There is the wrath to come. That certain event of final judgment. For the body goes into the ground, the soul goes to meet its maker and at that great return of Jesus Christ, body and soul reunited in the greater size, and the left for the goats, the right for the sheep. Come, you who are blessed, depart from me. I never knew you. And the end is an eternal end to exist outside the grace and the goodness of God. Flee, says John the Baptist, from the wrath to come. Here in verse 9, the axe is at the root of the trees. Every tree which does not bear good fruit. So your life must, must produce repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ, love, joy, peace, kindliness. Think about it now. Are you in? Love, joy, peace, kindliness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, all these things and I need to fight Oh, Lord, would you prune off the works of the flesh? Would you encourage in me the fruit of the Spirit? That's our battle. If it's your desire, be of good cheer. I'm encouraged when Christians say to me, oh, I'm really battling with sin, and they, they get quite down about that. Don't be down about that. There's a sign of life. Battling against sin, daily repenting, turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ, because on this day, see, now is a day of grace. Even one John, what John the Baptist says here, the axe is at the root of the tree. It's not there yet. It's out there. It's ready. There's a time coming when that tree is cut down. We're coming towards a conclusion now this, this morning. Don't know if the pastor's going to go on from uh, 1 Thessalonians to 2 Thessalonians, but 2 Thessalonians is very much focused on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read these verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. It is the wrath to come. Now, as we conclude this morning, why is repentance vital? There is a wrath to come. And my friends, you need to flee. I think the, 
classic by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, is something we need to read and reread. So very, very helpful. Here's this uh, man, a Pilgrim. He's in the city of destruction. He picks up a book, and in it he, he reads, Flee from the wrath to come, and stirred in his soul. Uh, he leaves the city, he leaves his wife and his children, and he heads out towards the plain, but he, he doesn't know quite where to go. He knows he's a sinner. He needs to flee from the wrath to come. He doesn't know where to flee to. He meets a man called Evangelist who says to him, you look pretty glum, young man. Oh, he says, I've read in this book, I I need to flee from the wrath to come and I don't know where to flee to. Young man, do do you see yonder straight, narrow gate. No, I I don't think I do. Do you see the light shining? Yes, I think I do. Head towards the lights, go through the gate, go up the hill, and you will understand. And uh, he goes and towards the light, and eventually through the gate, up the hill, and there he sees the cross of Calvary and Jesus Christ dying for his sin. Flee from the wrath to come. Where to? To Jesus. Not to religion. Not to churchianity. But to reality. To Jesus. Keep him real. Flee to him now and keep on fleeing to him, Christian. Oh, don't trust anybody else. Don't trust a pastor, an assistant pastor, ultimately. Paul, the apostle, said, follow me, but only as I follow Christ. If you see anything of Jesus in me, oh, follow it. If I see him in you, oh, I want to follow that. But it's Jesus Christ we are looking to. And uh, he goes up the hill and there he sees Jesus dying for his sin. And you know what Bunyan says? Oh, the burden of sin. Rolled away, rolled away. And down the hill and into the tomb. Gone. And what does Christian do? He gave three leaps for joy and went on his way rejoicing. Now, have you still got that joy this morning? Do you remember the first time you were saved? Do you remember that time of salvation? 46 years ago for me. Seems like yesterday. And when I hear the gospel preached, I think, oh, can I do this again? Well, in a sense, yes, you can. Yes, yield to him. Fully, wholly. Those bits I'm keeping back. Let them go. Let it go. To him. Follow him. Trust him. Serve him. He's no longer a glum-looking one but there's this joy within him. Is that joy in your soul? Rekindle it. Oh, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw uh, the Lord? Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ and keep fleeing to him. And as I stay close to Jesus Christ, I stay Humble. Why is repentance essential? Because there is a wrath to come. And only Jesus Christ can do helpless sinners good. Let me finish with a, a true story. It's, it happened in this church. It was in the 1990s, doing a series called Christianity Explained. It was being held actually in a house on Heathwood Road. It wasn't yours or mine, Richard, but it was on Heathwood Road. And quite a few folks came in. There'd be about 10 people who weren't yet Christians in the room, and we were going through the Christian story, six parts to it. Now, at the end of uh, the third part, um, 
a lady who'd attended all three said to me, excuse me, she said, I don't wish to be rude, but would you mind if I asked a question? I said, please, that's what it's for, do, do ask. She said, well, I don't want to boast, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've got a nice house. I've got a lovely husband. I've got three lovely children who go to a good school. I'm not boasting, she said. We've got two cars. We go on a main holiday. We have other... I don't, I, I, please understand, I'm not wishing to boast. Life for me is wonderful. So here's my question. Why do I need Jesus? Oh, I said, well, that's a very good question. I'm really glad and pleased that uh, your life is going well at the moment. But will it always go well? I don't know where she is now, 20-odd years later, maybe nearly 30 years later. I don't know if her husband is still with her, her children are still well, if she still has her job. I don't know if she's still alive. I said, let me put it this way, you need Jesus because you have to die. You need Jesus because maybe things won't always go well with you and you'll need someone to, to turn to and lean on. But ultimately you need him because you have to die and you can't die without him. And this illustration came to me for her. I said, it's a little bit like saying you can skydive without a parachute. And you know you can. You can. And you can have as much fun, in fact, maybe more fun than the uh, skydiver with a parachute. You can jump out at, th at 20,000 feet and have a wonderful time doing lots of somersaults and twists and turns. And, whee! and you can see things getting closer and closer. What a, what a wonderful view and the air rushing through you. And how wonderful. But why do you need a parachute for skydiving? Because without one, you'll only do it once. You need a parachute because you will have that encounter with the ground. And why do you need Jesus? Because you're going to have that encounter with the living God. And only Jesus can do you good. You must, must, must repent. And trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and know your sins forgiven. Have you done that yet? Do it now. Do it now. If you want to know how, come and, come and see. We can talk. We can pray uh, together. Uh, my, I don't mind missing my lunch. The vital thing is that you know that you have been saved by this wonderful, wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this brief time in your word on this vital, vital area. We thank you for the herald, John the Baptist, and may we as your people be heralds pointing towards Jesus with our life and with our lips. Pray we might know a time in this church of many coming to know the Saviour, but for any here this morning, right now who don't yet know him, oh God have mercy, warm their hearts. May they see their need, and that need so wonderfully met in Jesus Christ. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen.